Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank y'all so much. How about, how about our all-male worship band today? Come on, somebody. Some of you ladies are like, what? Listen, we had two women calling sick this morning, and we just thank God for these men. They are, man, they were powerful. That was powerful, Tanner. Thank you. Tanner was not only a student here, but he was part of our, our worship as well and um, for years, and, and, and we're just so thankful for him. The next guy that you're getting ready to hear that you've heard once before, his name is Nick Ballinger. I just want to take a moment and introduce him. Nick Ballinger uh, was a student here when I met him back in 2003. I taught my first class, Evangelism. And he was in that class, and oh, there you are, hey, buddy, and uh, sneak up behind me next time, I'll chop you. And so I'm just kidding, that's in that's in the spirit. And and so uh, Nick was actually in that class. Never met him before. He is from Greenville. If you're from Greenville, then you were represented today well. He also lived in Sparkle City, uh, known better known as Spartanburg. Same thing. But Nick was in our evangelism class. It met on. Uh, during a Maymester, during one to four in the afternoon. If you know anything about teaching, that's the worst thing that can happen is one to four because people eat, then they go to sleep, right? But God moved. I, I went to him. I said, Nick, uh, I, I, he said he could play guitar or something. How we found out about our ass in class. And, and so he would lead us in worship. And I kid you not, there were times, it was 4.30 at least, and the class was still going on. People on their face in front of God. He was leading worship. I said, man, there's something special about him. And the anointing of God was all over him. He spent two months in Kenya. And he's also been part of a church plant, David Street Baptist, up in uh, Green Greenville. He's been a part of many ministries. We're blessed. He worked here as well. His wife graduated from here. Some of you know his sister-in-law, Casey Boldick. And, and so we're blessed to have him back here at Charleston Southern. He was an elder, uh, an executive pastor when he was here at Summit before, and then he left us because he was in sin. But he repented and came back. And so we want you to, to, to meet him formally, and you're getting ready to see this video. But I um, also want to pray for him as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Nick. I pray that the words that you've given him are so powerful, Lord, that it brings us out of where we are and into your presence. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the video. So, yeah, that was, that was a, a nice introduction there, John. Where did he go? Did he, he disappear? He went, oh, okay, there he is. Thank you. Thank you. That's the first time I've ever been introduced by him where he didn't use profanity or something like that. That's been nice. That was good. Uh, no, nah, I'm kidding. Uh, but every time he, I meet somebody, he goes, this is Nick Ballinger. He's been living in sin, and he's back now. And they're going, well, I will pray for you. I'm just so sorry about that. Because everybody, apparently, if you don't know him, you take him seriously at everything. <laughs> You can't do that. Um, you just can't, except for food. When he talks about that, you take him seriously. Um, craziness. So John has been doing this series, I can't, but he can't. I had to write it down. I can't, but he can, so I must because he will. And I thought, oh, that was good. I want to I stay in that series if we can, all right? So I can't, but he can, so I must because he, he will. So my question to you today is, are you living as one who stands justified, or are you living as one who stands condemned? Um, are you living as one who stands justified, or are you living as one who stands condemned? Meaning, really, in the passage we're going to look at, are you a Pharisee, or are you a tax collector? Um, so that's where we're going to be. So today uh, is going to be a little bit... Um, it's got to be quick, it's got to be deeper, it's going to be a little hard in some areas. I just want you to kind of hang out with me on that, just we can do this. I believe in most of us 
most of us and, you know, that sort of thing. And so, you know, if you'll just stay with me, dive in with me, hang on, we'll be good. I promise it'll, it'll work out, okay? Um, so today, this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. You may have read this. Um, if, you, if you have read it and you're like, Ballinger, I know that one. Cool. Read it again. Um, we're going to read it again. And uh, it's just one of those kind of things. I'm a, I'm a big fan. If you, if you don't know, I, I don't think John mentioned, I spent the last seven years teaching high school Bible classes and coaching basketball and football and tennis and golf and one day of baseball. It did not work out for baseball. Um, so they put me as a first base coach and I screwed everything up. Um, so anyway, so they were like, you don't get to do that anymore. I never played baseball. I didn't know. There's these signs and signals and all kinds of stuff. Those guys just aren't scratching themselves purposelessly, purposelessly, that's what I'm going to go with. All right, so uh, chapter 18, Luke, starting verse 9. He also told, he being Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So that's who the parable is being told to, okay? Two men, this is the parable, went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. All right, so let's pray. So Lord, uh, this is your word. Uh, we are gathered to worship you. We are gathered to hear from your word. So God, we are asking you to show up and speak from your word. And God, we are asking you to penetrate our hearts with your word, that the Holy Spirit would move in such a way that it would affect us by the speaking of your word. God, that we would not leave the same way that we came in, that some of us who needed encouraging would be encouraged, that some of us who needed to hear your voice about convictions of sin in our life would hear such a thing. God, and that everybody would hear of the great grace and love that you poured out on us at the cross. God, that death has been defeated, that all of the sufferings that we endure have purpose in your kingdom. Lord, and that you would be exalted and that you would be lifted high, that nobody would say anything about what I did here today, uh, but that the Lord spoke. And God, that's what we want to hear. I don't want to hear the voice of another man. I want to hear the voice of God. And so God, we pray that you speak today. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so background. Luke He's writing this letter to Theophilus, which is a fun name if you're thinking about kids, all right? This is my boy, Theophilus Jones. No, okay. Um, sorry. And you can't take me seriously, too. I'm a very dry sense of humor person, so just if you're going, is he for real? Probably not. Um, so, so that sort of thing. So don't name your kids Theophilus. Well, maybe, I don't know. Where's Michael Brown at? Michael Brown, you can name your kids later. You're going to have a fifth or sixth when you name them Theophilus Brown. Uh, anyway, but Theophilus, if we go fancy Greek style, we'll say that's uh, Theo, we're going to say God maybe, and Phileo, if we want to, I don't know, you pronounce it better than I do. Uh, Phileo, 
love, particularly brotherly love. So his name is most likely rendered something like lover of God. So that's kind of cool because he's getting a letter of the, uh, he's getting a gospel kind of sort of written to him in a way. So that's pretty neat. Luke's got uh, some really strong Greek, probably the fanciest out of all the little writers, which is pretty cool. And then uh, he's also in a synoptic gospel, which is a fancy word. Um, I like things that are easy. I don't know why people who have all these big degrees and stuff want to continue to use large words. You know, like I spent a year and a half working in an industrial pipe warehouse, okay? I was driving a forklift, I was wearing a rain slicker, I was doing all the fancy stuff. I looked like the Gordon's Fisherman, um, and except for the beard, it doesn't grow right, just don't ask. And so, um, but it's one of those things to where I, I went out there and, you know, worked, and, and, and in the pipe industry, if they have something in the shape of a T, it's called a T. Uh-huh. And, and, and when they have a thing that brings two together, it's called a union. And if something looks like a 90-degree elbow, it's called a 90-degree elbow. Those pipe guys, they nailed it. Theology people, what are you doing? Well, these kind of three Gospels go together. What do we call them? Let's call them synoptic because everybody will know that word. Um, it's silly. You know, and I teach my high school students. I'd say, okay, we're going to learn synoptic today. And they, you know, one of them collapses. The other one just goes... Like that, I'm like, I don't even know what that means, because I'm old. Um, and so, you know, um, but it's one of those deals. So synoptic, let's just cut it in half. Sin, same, synonym, good. Optic, probably something to do with the eyeball. Synoptic, same eye, same viewing, same looking, same thing. Sort of, right? So Matthew, Mark, Luke are the synoptic gospels, and they tell mostly the same story. Okay, there are some differences in that to which some people will pop up to you and say, oh my gosh, I found errors in scripture. Good, because out of the 2,000 however many years, you're the one that got it. Well done. Um, and so, I mean, that's just fantastic. It's like when people say, I figured out the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism, and I figured out which one's biblically correct. And you're like, oh, that's amazing. No one's been able to do that. And so, um, that's great. Way to go. And they're from Greenville, you know? It's like, what are you doing? Um, so... Anyway, so synoptic kind of looks like this. How I explain it is, is easier like this, okay? So if, if we're at an intersection, okay, and Jonathan here is driving his car, and he hits, um, well, let's be honest, it'd probably be John Davis. John Davis hits Jonathan, okay, two Johns, that's difficult. John Davis hits Tanner, and, and sorry about that, John. And uh, he, um, and he, he, he you know, Hits him in the car. Oh my gosh! And there's a huge wreck and everything like that. Well, the police officer shows up and he asks one guy, "Well, what did you see?" And the first witness says, "Well, what I saw was that crazy man over there and his little ghetto truck came driving. If you've seen it, you know it's horrible. We were talking outside. I peeled sheets of paint off of it and left them in the ground, which I shouldn't have because that's probably polluting. Shouldn't have admitted that. All right. So um, anyway, somebody picked it." No. All right. So um, it's biodegradable. No. All right. So anyway, but that guy came around the turn and just plowed into this other guy, and he's, you know, he hit him. It's totally his fault. Okay, cool. We go to witness two. Witness two says, yep, that guy came around the turn. There was a little dog that ran across the street, and he plowed into that guy. They go to witness three, and he goes, that guy came around the turn. He plowed into that dude. I didn't see a dog, but there was a woman talking on her cell phone walking that direction. Did any of those three people lie? No, but they all told three sort of different stories, didn't they? Three witness perspectives, all telling the same story, some including some details, some including others. Still truth. Okay, so that's a synoptic gospel. John is not a synoptic gospel. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke are. Um, and then we look at um, the other part of the background is parables. We're looking at a parable. So Jesus told him a parable. It's really weird. I never picked up on this ever, you know. Of course, I went through all of high school and college thinking that Romans was the name of the book. And it was just, that was all it was. It's actually by Paul to the churches in Rome. Didn't know that. Um, you know, grew up all my life in church. And they're like, First Corinthians. And I'm like, okay, that's the title of the book. Nope, it's actually a letter written to the church in Corinth from Paul. And you're like, oh, so that's why it's the title of the, yeah, nobody explained that to me. Um, you know, but that's what it is. So parables, check this out. Matthew chapter 5 and 6. Any, any Bible scholars, you can kind of tell me what's going on there? Sermon on the Mount, somebody over here. Good, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, is speaking, he's teaching, and so he's standing up and he's talking. Sermon on the Mount, right? It's pretty straightforward. You know, you have heard it said this, but I say to you that. You know, pretty straightforward speaking, Matthew 5. You go to Luke 8, all of a sudden, there's a sower, you know, coming out in this parable. It's got weird for a second there, didn't it? Matthew 5 and 6 is very straightforward teaching. 2 plus 2 is 4. Luke 8... Jesus is telling stories, and he's teaching through stories. He wasn't teaching through stories. Now he is teaching through stories. That's interesting. What's he doing that for? Well, because parables are normally judgment is what they normally are. And who is he speaking this parable to? He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and who held other, treated others with contempt is what verse 9 says. So what we're kind of looking at here is a, is a little section of Scripture that's going to deal with pride. And you know the problem with sections of Scripture that deal with pride is that no one thinks they're about themselves. You know, the people that need to hear them are sitting there going, that's right, y'all need to get your stuff together. I don't know what's wrong with you. Listen up, sinners. That's what it is, right? Everybody else, you know, I, I got it. You got problems. And so, but that's how it is. So we see this idea. So let's look at the passage now. We've kind of done, done, done some background. Let's look at the passage. It says, two men, verse 10, went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now we know tax collector most likely is kind of viewed as a traitor, one who sold out to Rome, kind of taxes his own people, not somebody who's got a lot of friends probably. Okay. And then we see this idea um, of the tax collector. The Pharisee, verse 11 and I want to start noting this, location and posture. Location and posture. I know this is the same thing. Like in, in, earlier on today, in this, in like five minutes ago, I said, um, I want you to read it again if you have read it. There's a reason, okay? A lot of times we go, I know that story. I've read that thing. I got that passage. Really read it. Really look at the words. Really pay attention to not only what it does say, but also what it doesn't say. Okay, it's going to include some things. It's also not going to include others. And so we really need to, to do that. Because I think part of growing as a disciple in Christ is being a self-feeder. You need to be able to read the Bible for yourself and figure out what God is saying in that and not show up on Sunday and go, Preacher, tell me what it says. Okay? So how would you, how would you know if someone was teaching you heresy unless you knew Scripture? You, you know, you have to pay attention to this. So we've got to start being in the Word and not talking about the Word, but being in the Word that leads to talking about the Word. So you've got a Pharisee, and what does it say? It says he's, verse 11, standing by himself. So he's by himself. That's interesting. And then he prays thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You can kind of see him, you know, is he, is he doing this tax collector, pointing straight at him, or is he doing you know, the tax 
collector, that guy. Um, you know, but then it says, uh, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. But then there's, but the tax collector, where's he at? Standing far off. So we've we got this difference in posture here. We've got this difference in location. Pharisees by himself kind of comes up to the front. Tax collector, it looks like really, he's, I've always kind of pictured him in the back. You know, and kind of said, just standing far off. And what's he standing far off from? They're in the temple. He's standing far off from God. He's probably showing his physical location to show his spiritual location. Right? He's probably saying, I'm standing far off from God because I am far away from God. Now, at this point, I'm not going to mention people standing in the back of the, you know, church today, because this is not where God is, right? Okay, I mean, God dwells within me, but God is around us and within us and through us and all that kind of good stuff. So that's not, that's not the right thing. That's not a knock on people who sit in the back. We're a Baptist church. A lot of people sit in the back. That's just how it is. We're Baptists. We got chicken and we sit in the back. Um, anyway, uh, we do, and not calf chicken Wednesdays. Um, so... So let's see, sorry, had to. Um, Location and posture. Now I want you to note that the Pharisees, uh, or no, I really want to add this. The tax collector is not lifting his face to heaven. He's ashamed to even look at God. You ever done something that, that, not that your parents like beat you up for or spanked you for or whatever, but you ever did something to where you knew you disappointed them? And not in some kind of unrealistic, unrealistic term where there's like these sports dads, have you met these people? Uh, sports dads that are like, son, how many points did you have? Well, I had, I had 20, dad. Why didn't you have 30? You know, uh, I'll get 30 next time. And then the son like grows up and like he, he feels like he's never good enough because his dad never gave him his approval. Those kind of people, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so it's that sort of deal. Some of y'all right now are going, that's my father. My dad did that. And so anyway, but, but it's that idea of, of, have you ever done something to where you disappointed them? They said, this is what I'm expecting of you. And it wasn't, it wasn't outlandish. It was a general requirement. And you really screwed that up. And, you know, I remember the first time I got a speeding ticket. And my dad was, I was, I was so worried. I was on a back road I wasn't supposed to be on. Like, I'm not supposed to be on. I didn't know it. And, and so I didn't know the speed limit, but I was flying down it, right? Well, I don't know the speed limit. It's probably 70. And so, you know, that sort of thing. And then I get pulled over, and it's not, not 70. <laughs> and so, um, but it's one of those deals to where, um, you know, I was, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm going to tell my dad he's going to just beat the mess out of me, or he's going to make me chop wood for days, or he's going to, I don't know what he's going to do. Um, and I walked up to him, and I was like, got a ticket, you know, and I was like, and he was like, you did? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, if you drive, you're going to get tickets. And I was like, I just, I'm going to get jumped, right? You know, and, and he was like, how much was it? It was like $150. He's like, do you have $150? And I was like, uh-huh. And he was like, huh, I don't have a problem then. And I was like, okay, uh, this is weird. And so, um, but it's one of those deals where like you disappoint somebody, you know, and you're, you're worried to even look at them, to go talk to them. Oh my gosh, there they are. I got to go say something to them. I let them down. And that's what this tax collector is doing. He's, looking, he's not looking up to God because he knows the holiness of God and he knows the sinfulness of himself. And so we see that in the posture. But then let's look at the Pharisees' prayer for a second, okay? The Pharisees' prayer, there's actually nothing wrong with the prayer. 
Okay, except for the whole pointing out the guy. The prayer for the general, uh, general idea is not that bad. The first one says, he, he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. There are some other people in the world who are not great, right? Um, and even he names them. Well, thank you. Uh, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, that tax collector. Okay, so that's not great, but he is thanking God. At least he's not saying something, whatever. And then he says, I fast twice a week. Well, look at him. You know, I give tithes of all that I get. So, you know, is he, he's, he, all he's saying is I'm religious. I, I'm thanking God that I'm not a, a horrible, sinful, you know, murderer. Um, you know, but, I, and Lord, heck, I, I even honor you by tithing and fasting. You know, that doesn't sound that bad. But, but I also want you to note this. How many times do we have I in there? At least five in my Bible. I actually went and looked at it in the Greek. Five. Um, so five different times, I, I, you know, I always, I always worry about times when somebody looks at you and they've read the Bible and you go, so what do you think about that? And they go, well, what, how I view scripture, everybody in hermeneutics is going, what do you mean how you use scripture? <laughs> you know, like how about how God interprets scripture by his own word? Uh, and then we'll, we'll do that. Not how I feel about something. I used to tell my high school students all the time, you know, feelings change. There's sometimes you feel you're hungry. There's sometimes you feel mad. There's sometimes you feel happy. You know, are you hungry, mad, or happy? Some of us are hungry right now. You know, but it's one of those things right now, you know? No? Okay, see, feelings change. So let's not base eternal destinies on our feeling. Okay? Let's not base who we get married to because it feels good. You know, oh, I just feel like this is so great. No, how about like we, if we're Christian, let's let God decide that. Because our feelings are fickle. You know, they're easily swayed. Some of you stayed up crazy late watching the Clemson game, and your feelings probably changed all throughout that thing. You know, I hate this school. They do this to me every year. And then it's like, we can win. <laughs> you know, like, if you ever, wives, if you ever want to prove that your, your husband is, like, psychotic for later on, you know what I'm saying? Um, just, like, set up a camera while he watches sports. <laughs> He's up there yelling at the team, you should have caught the ball! I could have caught that pass! Look at him and go, let's go outside, I'm going to throw you one. You know, like... He's like, and then he does this, okay, let's get up there and hop on over. You know, the, you know you're older when you start making noises when you stand up and when you sit down. <laughs> and it's not like an intentional noise, it's a, it just happened noise. Well, come on into the, you know, and you're like, where did that come from? I remember I was in the intramural gym playing basketball with some guys, and I, I played basketball my whole life. And we were running and all this kind of stuff, and I was, eh, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm running flip-flops, don't judge me. And so that sort of thing, and I started going, I started hearing this noise. It was going. <laughs> it was like a velociraptor. And, and I was like, where's that coming from? Oh, my gosh. That's out of me. And so I was like. I need to start doing some laps occasionally, <laughs> you know, because cookout is cheap and good. And so anyway, how many quesadillas can you fit in the tray? Um, all right. So anyway, sorry. And now you know I'm from Summit. All right. Um, so let's, let's look at this. Five different eyes in there. I mean, he's all about how he feels, how what he does, how he comes to God. And he, he's not shy about it. My man's standing at the front. Looking straight up, talking to God, even pointing out other people that aren't doing so well. 
you know, he's, he feels pretty good. Well done there. Yes, sir. Memorized most of the Bible. Good of you. And so it's, it's one of those kind of things. But then verse 13, there it is, but. You know, and so you know, okay, we're building something here. We've got a tax collector on one end, and we've got a Pharisee on the other. This is what the Pharisee's doing. This is where he's standing. This is what he's about. But there's this tax collector. There was not, and there was also a tax collector. It's, but there was a tax collector. So now we have set the things that end with one another. Okay. And so we, we see the structure there in, in the literary style. Let's look at 13 and 14. And then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get into the main, main point, and then we'll call it a day, all right? So 13 and 14. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, why is he saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? And here's, here's the I can't, but he can, so I must, because he will. He's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That tells us some things, doesn't it? This is how, you, this is how I want you to start to, and I, I know we haven't, we've just met, but this is how I want you to start really looking at Scripture, okay, is, is really sitting there and going, it says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, meaning who is approached? God, who is a sinner, the tax collector, what does he want? Mercy. Which means that he knows who he is, and he knows who God is, and he knows what God can do. Right? It means that I know I am a sinner, and I'm here calling upon God who can bestow mercy. That's why I'm asking God and not somebody else. Right? That's the idea. And he knows he's a sinner, which means he knows he needs mercy from God. That's, that's ultimately what we need. We don't necessarily need uh, our health. We don't necessarily need uh, money in the bank account. We don't necessarily need even all of our relationships put together and just great and we're shopping at Old Navy wearing khakis. Alright? What we need what we need is God's mercy and grace. We need Christ is what we need. That's what we need. I'm not going to knock other churches who do this, but I'll tell you my personal, my personal opinion. Nick's choice of where he wants to go to church. I don't want to go to church where a place teaches topically. Now, why do I not want to do that? You may like that. That's okay. That's okay. I think a lot of people can get saved through topical preaching, okay? Um, but, but why I don't like that? Um, because you can do a sermon on how to have better kids, you know, how to be a better parent. You can do a sermon on, on how to have a great marriage. You could do a sermon on how to manage your finances well. Or you could just live the gospel and hear the gospel and preach it to yourself so that you have a better relationship with your kids, a better marriage, and you manage your money well. Because if we would be so affected by Christ in such a way that it would change these things. Because of Christ's mercy, I am a better father. Because of Christ's mercy, this is how I spend my money. This is how I treat my kids. Right? That's the idea. I, look, I had, a, I had a student, former student, make some, some changes in his life that I would disagree with, that Scripture would disagree with. Okay? But I'm going to call him up and what I'm going to say, I love you. I'm not going to call him up and say, you know, I don't really agree with what you're doing here. He knows I don't agree with what he's doing. What he needs to hear is, you're loved anyway. 
I had some students who were, uh, <laughs> this is, <laughs> I always tell people that my, my private Christian school students were like not bad kids. And what I meant by that was, <laughs> it isn't that they didn't do things bad, it was that they weren't good about knowing not to tell people about them. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't good at being bad. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't that they didn't do them, it was just they were kind of stupid. And so, like, so we, had, we had students do donuts in the school parking lot in the grass at 3.30 in the afternoon. Oh, guess what? They got caught. Who <laughs> didn't see that coming? I looked at them. I said, you do it at 2 in the morning, and you don't tell anybody, and you wash the dirt off of your truck before you get here. What's wrong with you? You don't even know how to be bad. I'm so disappointed. You know, like that sort of thing. But we had some kids, and they know how Mr. Ballinger and how, you know, the Bible really feels about drunkenness. Um, and, and uh, you know, they went out uh, at prom and they got, you know, plastered or whatever you wasted, lighted. I don't say lit, lighted. Um, and so, I know, sorry. <laughs> Told you I was old. And so, but it's one of those things, they got lighted. And so, we're never going to be able to preach again. All right, so, so that sort of thing. And then what did they do? They tweeted about it because they're not good at being bad. And so, of course, private Christian school coming the next day. What'd you do last night? That didn't go well, right? But I looked at them in my class and I said, do you think I agree with your decision? No. (laughs) You know, no, sir, you don't agree with our decision. Right. Do you think I love you any less? No. Right? So we can disagree on things and you're going to do things that upset me and I'm going to do things that upset you, but my love for you isn't going to change. You're going to be unconditionally loved. You know, that's how it is. Now, that's not me. That's Christ in me. I wouldn't do that. I would be like, well, you ain't talking to me anymore. We'll forget you then. That's fine. You know, or you weren't, you weren't nice to me. So the heck with you. What I care. There's other people. I don't need you anyway. I'm, I'm, you know, but it's this idea of because of Christ, I can love people that have done me wrong because of Christ. I can forgive much because I've been forgiven much. But, but also, let's make it a little rougher. Because of Christ, I should forgive much because I'm forgiven much. Not just I can, but should. You know? And so we see these kind of things. So God be merciful to me, a sinner. This man knows his location spiritually, and he knows who can help him. And so he's calling out to him. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So the tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. And then we see the, the line, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. That's pretty straightforward, right? If you're, if you're a humble person, God will exalt you. That, may, that may not be here. You, that might not mean that you, you become the president of the company. That may just mean that you're exalted in terms of you are loved by God. And isn't that enough? You know, so, so we, have, we may be exalted in these ways. There's not a guaranteed. And now that you've humbled yourself, Joseph, this is how the Lord would like to exalt you. you know, it's, it's, it's not like that. All right? You know, it's like the Lord will bless you. That doesn't mean money. It might. It doesn't. You know, it may. I don't know. Maybe Joseph gets a million dollars. Maybe he doesn't. Is he still blessed by God? Yes, because he knows the mercy of Christ. And so it says that the tax collector went down justified, but the Pharisee, I guess, did not, because it says rather than the other. let's, Let's talk about that for a second, because I don't want to ever assume that you just know Christianese. You know, that's, that's what we'll say, Christian vocabulary, all right? Justified, you know, besides a show on TNT or something. What is that? 
you know, justified. What does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to be justified? More so, what does it mean to be justified by God? You know, what, what does that mean? Now, we could throw out, and I know we talk a good bit in here, um, but we could throw out some opinions of that, but let's just go ahead, for time's sake, nail it down, all right? To be declared legally righteous before God. All right? It really has to do with kind of a, a, a penalty, a legalistic kind of understanding that you are justified. We, we know that like, um, you know, let's say you, you, you're at your house, you're sleeping, somebody breaks in, uh, you, you do your CrossFit on them, and you, and you take them down. You know? <laughs> like, they come in and you, you start, you know, you're, you catch the criminal and you immediately scream out, let's see who can deadlift the most. And they're like, ah, and then they injured themselves, and the police come and arrest them. You know, um, you stand before the judge, and they go, well, you hurt this guy. Well, judge, he was breaking into my house. Oh, well, then your actions were justified, right? So it's justified. So, so, so this, though, it means declared legally righteous before God. Well, what does righteous mean? Because I don't know anything. So what does righteous mean? I know there's, we sing about righteousness and, and that sort of thing. But what is righteousness? Righteousness is right standing with God. Okay. So right standing with God. So I am declared to have right standing with God and, and definitely by God. Because he's the judge. So it says that, that the tax collector was declared to have right standing with God. But the Pharisee did not. So do you stand, and again, do you stand as one who is justified or do you stand as one who is condemned today? Are you a Pharisee or a tax collector? And we see this idea of, well, why do I not, I mean, why do I not have um, a good standing with God right now? Why do I not have that? Well, because we are all, we know Scripture tells us a, a couple of different things, right? Scripture tells us that, that God is holy. We get basically the entire Old Testament to say God is holy. Um, and, and he gives us all these laws, which I've broken, you've broken. Okay, so God is holy. To be with God, you have to be holy. If you break these laws, you're not holy. Okay, have I broken those laws? Yes. Therefore, you're not holy. Therefore, you can't be with God. Well, that stinks. Well, how do I get to be with God? You can get to be with God because 2 Corinthians tells us that Jesus became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Okay? And we're going to go a little Martin Luther great exchange here. Okay? And, and what happens is if we come to faith in Christ, if we surrender to, to the Lord, what does he do? He imputes, John used that word recently, he imputes his righteousness to us, and we impute our sinfulness to him, so that he who knew no sin becomes sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, imputation, stay with me, I told you we were going to go a little deep, stay with me. Imputation is this idea of not just giving somebody something, you know, I don't know if, if David's here. David, are you David, are you here? David's not here today. David's not here today. So David Dyer, uh, he needed a car to go to Augusta because of the hurricane. You may have noticed we had a slight, slight storm. Um, and so, um, so David didn't have a car. He needed a car. I said, David, take my car. So he took my car. He drove it to Augusta. He brought it back. He fixed like everything in my car, which is awesome. So if you need to lend your car to someone... Uh, just give it to David. I told him, I was like, it's going to get inappropriate because I'm going to keep hugging you. And so, um, in Title IX, right, John? And so, um, but it's, it's that sort of thing. But, but he did that. Now, David came back. He got his rental car. He gave me my keys. 
was that car his during that time that he borrowed it? No, he had my car. Okay, now he used it, he drove it, he, he could use it however he wanted to. I wasn't with him. I'm not one of those weird people that put a camera in there or anything like that. You know, like, let's see what he does. Oh, he can't sing at all. No, not that. Uh, you know, but, but that sort of thing. He could have done, he could have driven at 120 miles an hour. He could have, he could have, you know, done whatever. I don't know. But however he did it, he fixed everything, and that was really cool. But he brought it back to me, and he gave me my car. Anytime we were texting, it was, Ballinger, I'm going to bring you your car because it's mine. He's using it, but it's mine. To impute that to him would be to take the title of the car and to write his name on it and to hand it to him. Whose car is it now? His car. It has been given over as to become one's possession. Okay? So Christ, and and stick with me because this is awesome, Christ had our sin imputed to him and then God's wrath was poured out on Christ because he was the one that had the sin. And his righteousness that he had earned by obeying all of the law of the Old Testament was imputed to us so that we have possession of it. So that the Christian today can say, are you righteous? Yes. I have right standing with God. I am declared legally righteous before God, by God, through Christ. And so that is huge because that's the gospel. Okay? And so when we see that, we see the differences between the two individuals. Now, we're about done. If the band wants to go ahead and come on up, come on up. I don't know where you went. The band integrates and you never find them again. There's one. All right. So there's, there's one. All right. Any others? Ha! There's one in the back. All right. So, okay. So the band's going to come up. Now, here's what I want you to hear today. All right? Don't be distracted by these people. Now that I pointed them out, you're just, no. So the question is this. Are you living as one who stands justified before God or one who stands condemned? And only you know that. Only you know that. We could talk about it on one level saying, are you living this way? Right? Because here's the thing. If there's people in this room today that are in Christ, then you are justified. And now, because he has, you must. What? Live like Christ. You must live like Christ because you've been justified by Christ. So you shouldn't be living like your former self. You should be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You should be living as one who is in Christ. You know, that doesn't mean you don't fall down. You fall down sometimes, absolutely. But you're not laying on the track, not getting up. You're running the race, falling down occasionally. Complete the race. Win the prize. Obtain the crown. Right? It's the righteousness of God that has been given to you, so live like it. You know? And and that means that even when you're sitting here and going, I just don't I just don't have any energy to read, read it anyway. You know, think about it when you're on a sports team. I love sports. It's so easy to put gospel and sports together. It's, it's, I think sports were designed by God to promote the gospel, and that's about it. Ricky may disagree. And so, but the idea is this. If I'm on the sports team, and we're at practice, and the coach says we're going to go run, and you go, I'm just tired. How long are you going to be on that team? Not that long, you know. you tired, you better get to running. And so, because everybody else is going to have to run more because you ain't running. So it's one of those kind of things, right? It doesn't matter if you're tired. Read, read his word. 
Well, it's just when I pray, I feel like the prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. But we know from His Word, it says that the Holy Spirit speaks for us in longings that we can't understand. So be assured because He's told you already. Right? There are some of you right now who are assured of someone's love for you. And no matter what was going to happen, or maybe you texted them, they didn't get back to you. Did you, think, did you start going, well, they don't love me anymore. You know, no, you were secure and assured of the love of that individual, even if they didn't get back to you immediately, right? Because you know them. And so that sort of thing, we have to keep that kind of stuff in mind. What do we know about God? And I know that's from the last time I preached here, but what do we know about God? What has he told us? He told us that if we believe in him, if we believe in what Christ has obtained for us, then we would be justified and declared legally righteous. And I heard a pastor say one time, Who is it that would possibly go and knock on the door of a king at 3 a.m. demanding water? His children. Right? No one in the city would do anything like that. That'd be crazy. The king, he's too powerful. He could kill anybody. Right? Nobody goes up to the king's gate and says, could I have some water? Nobody does that. But his kids, they can run in at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, Dad, I need some water. And the king, who controls all of the nation, will get up and go and get water for that two-year-old. And if, if that is the case, then we are children of the king if we are in Christ. So how much access do we have before God? So right here, real quick. You're either a Pharisee or a tax collector. And I got another category I'll talk about in a second. A Pharisee, either one of two ways. Either you believe in your own self-righteousness and you think that's going to be good enough to get you into heaven, which it's not because Christ shows us his perfection. Or two, you're living as a person who is in Christ, but you got spiritual arrogance coming out. Well, I'm better. Let me show you why I'm better. I don't have any problem with sin. Jesus paid for my sin, sure, but you know my sin really wasn't that bad anyway. No, it was devastating. The wrath of God was satisfied on Christ on the cross. Occasionally, we hear this easy believism kind of stuff where it says, you know what, and God will just wipe away your sins. And you go, man, that's fantastic. He gets out the spray and he goes, and he just wipes it away. No, he crushed Christ for your sins. That's what Isaiah tells us. See the weight of your sinfulness compared to the holiness of God and you will enjoy the love of Christ that has been done for you. Second, you may be a tax collector. You may be somebody who thinks there's no way. I'm standing back there. I got my head down. I'm not looking to God. I'm sitting here going, how could I possibly receive mercy? I don't even know what to say. Some of that stuff that dude talked about, I don't even know what that is. Okay, but what did our tax collector say? He came down front and he said, or not down front, he stood in the back and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He didn't say, God have mercy on me because I've memorized your word. He didn't say, God have mercy on me because I got all my stuff together. He said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's all I know. That's it. You know, John prays every single Sunday. I don't come with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the spirit and power. Cool. What does that mean? That means all I know is Christ crucified. I might not understand imputation. I might not understand justification. But I know that Jesus paid for my sin. And I'm believing in that. And that's all I got. Other than that, I don't have anything else. And so I'm going to stake my life on that. 
And so everything that I do, everything that I say, all of my actions are going to go towards that because Christ has showed such a great love to me, a sinner, right? And then third, and this is where I find myself, is someone who's kind of a mix of both. You know, so there's some days I'm spiritually arrogant. Man, I've done mission trips. Man, I've, been, I've got degrees. I've, I've studied the Bible all my... Man, I used to teach the Bible. Did you do anything to earn your salvation? Did you die on the cross? No, Jesus paid it all. I didn't pay for it. I didn't pay for a smidge of it. He paid for all of it. So why, why would I possibly have spiritual arrogance? Why would I possibly think I'm better than anybody? You know, the famous saying is, a Christian is a beggar who tells another beggar where to find food. That's all we are. People who've begged God and He is graciously, because of John 3.17, He has come into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. He has bestowed His great riches and mercy on us. And then sometimes I find myself the tax collector. And I'm sitting here begging God to have mercy on me. You know, like, I just don't know. But I think about like people who are uh, patients that get like um, heart transplants or kidney transplants or something like that, you know? When they get that new heart or when they get that new kidney or whatever, do they just sit there on their bed and dwell about how bad their kidney used to be? No. They live. You know? And so if we look to our sin, if we're in Christ and we're looking at our sin, we're looking at our sin so that we can see the greatness of our Savior. That's why. That's the, that's the only reason. We can look at him and go, you know what I was and do you know what I am now and do you know who did that? Christ. And it exalts him because he's the one that's worth exalting. That's it. So let me pray for us. Father, you're so good. You do all things well. And God, you know where we are today. You know what we can do. Lord, you know what we can't. And we pray, God, that you would have mercy on us. Lord, that you would meet us where we are because we know that you do. And you would pour out your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, the people that are in this room that are broken over certain situations, that they would hear your voice. They would see you for who you are. And they would see them as a father who loves them, as a king who came down to them. God, as somebody who holds us up and holds us together. So, Lord, we pray for the Christians in this room that they would be encouraged, that they would live their faith as those who are justified, as the, the transplant that has been put into them, and now they live because of it. God, I pray that you just speak today, or that you just move today, that people would know that there is mercy to be found today, that people that would come and pray, God, that others would come beside them, because there's nothing more beautiful than the church praying for the church. We don't need a pastor to come down here and do this. God, everybody has free access to the King. We boldly approach the throne with assurance because of the great love of Christ. So God, I pray that you move. You have your way. It's in your name we pray. Amen.